Good morning, Cultivate. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. We are uh, in the middle of a series called Something to Believe in, and throughout this series, what we're doing is outlining for our church, for all of us, the core beliefs of Cultivate Church. These are the things that we hold to as our highest source of uh, truth and um, that, that help to guide us as a body in terms of making some of the decisions that we make as a church, what we will do, what we will not, will not do. And so we're taking eight weeks to do this, and uh, we're really in the third week of that. So we've outlined so far um, the God as a trinity, a triune God of three in one. And then last week we talked about Jesus and uh, the way that he impacts our life individually and corporately as a body here. And this week we turn our attention to probably the most misunderstood person of the Trinity, and that is the Holy Spirit. So what are we doing today? We are talking about the Spirit. We're outlining um, really the third of our eight core beliefs here at Cultivate Church, and it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit of God. So our core statement says this. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son as God. He is present in the world to draw creation back into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He also lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation. He provides the Christian with power for living a life that pleases God, increasing ability to understand God's word, and with spiritual gifts to be utilized for the benefit of others. This is the point. The Christian seeks to live under his control daily. So there's a lot there, just like there was last week. So we're going to break this down and kind of make it a little bit more understandable for us because the Holy Spirit really is the most misunderstood person of God's character. And so we tend to relegate him to the area of misunderstanding rather than trying to really figure out who he is, what he does, and why it matters. So I'll kind of start out this way. Uh, Does anybody like the show uh, The Price is Right? Are you guys like Bob Barker snobs, and so you're just not into it now? Show of hands, who who really likes The Price is Right, or did at least at one time? The rest of you just don't like stuff being given away for free, right? (laughs) Or you had jobs and you can't watch it at 11 a.m. Although I'm sure you can probably download it now. You know, the, if you're a really big Price is Right fan. Um, I, I was a big Price is Right fan growing up because my grandmother was a big Price is Right fan. And she was the master of Price is Right. So we would sit down, start watching Price is Right. She's calling out numbers. And, and like, I mean, if she were playing there more often than not, she would be winning the prizes, you know, over and again. How, how many of you have been that, like, you're like, if I could just get on that show... I would totally win everything there is to win. Um, One of the things I love about that show is because it gets better and better as you go, right? So you start out winning something very small in the beginning just to get on stage. And then when you're on stage, you're like, whoa, what's behind that thing? You know, you're just waiting for the doors to come up. And if you watch it for long enough, you know which games will produce, like, the, the car, you know? And Rod Rowdy, it's a new car, and it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the, my favorite part of the entire show. And then it, it gets even better from that, right? Because you go on from there where people win stuff to the, to the what? What's at the very end? 
The showdown, yes. Throw in the showcase showdown. And it's like prize after prize after prize. And you're like, it can't get any better. And then they show the second one, and that's even better than the first one. Uh, do you ever watch somebody on that show that, uh, that wins at the very beginning, right, where they're all lined up, gets on stage, and wins a new car? And they're totally psyched out, right? They're just jumping up and down. They can't believe their luck. And then what happens? They, they get into the showcase showdown. And now they have an opportunity to win even more. Do you ever see somebody's face who loses the showcase showdown that's already won the brand new car? It's kind of like, ah, well, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) there's like a brief moment of disappointment, and then they go back to what they've already won, and they think, how awesome is this? I've already won the brand new car. What in the world does this have to do with anything, right? (laughs) It is a great story. If I'm being honest, I tend to think of the spirit as a failed showcase showdown. Huh? You come to know God through Jesus Christ. It is the most amazing experience you've ever had in your life. God comes and he forgives you of sin. He gives you a new heart. You start living for him and serving him. And for a long time, it becomes about you and Jesus. And then somebody starts talking about the showcase showdown. And you think to yourself, that sounds fantastic. That sounds even better than what I've already got. I wonder if that's for me. And then what we do is we think, oh, it doesn't really matter anyway, because I've already got my brand new car. Does that make sense? We think of the Christian life as already winning something amazing that we could have never hoped for, And then when it comes to living an empowered, transformed, illuminated life that only the Spirit of God can bring, we think of it as that that failed showcase showdown that's for somebody else and not for me. And we think, I'll just go back to driving my car because it's good enough. Why do I need this extra thing? We tend to think of the Spirit as a nice add-on but not essential. That's the way I'll put it. So how many of you uh, grew up in a church, participated in church growing up? Most of us here. Um, For those of you who did participate in the church, how many of those churches emphasized in in kind of a real or practical way the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit active in your life and in the church? Not a big percentage of you. It's a nice add-on, but it's not essential, right? That's the way we tend to think of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. My job today is to convince you otherwise. It's to convince you otherwise. Because the sad truth is many churches have an official statement about the Holy Spirit. That would include us. Um, But the Spirit is nowhere to be found. The Spirit is nowhere to be found. Except for on a sheet of paper. Now that's a very sad truth. But I think it's a very true one. He tends to be the icing on our cake rather than something that's uh, essential to the batter, right? Um, And there's a reason for this. I think that uh, we experience God through many times our earthly experiences. And so uh, either if we've had a good experience or a bad experience, all of us have experienced probably in some way, shape, or form an earthly father. 
And so that, whether we like it or not, impacts the way that we view God as a father. And the Bible talks about God as a father to us. And so we tend to use that as a mirror for our experience and how we view the presence of God the Father in our life. Same thing goes for Jesus, because Jesus is God with flesh on, right? He is incarnate here on the earth, at least for a time. And we can experience him by reading the Bible and get a sense of what he's like because we can compare it to human experiences. What about the Spirit? Not so much, right? Very tough to get your hands around who he is, what he does, because we don't have much experience of that in our everyday lives, apart from if we understand who he is and what he does. The result is that we tend to have a distant view of God as a spirit, when the reality is it should be just the opposite. The Holy Spirit should be the closest that God is to us. It should be the most comforting, challenging, invigorating, inspiring thought about God that we have, and many times it's the most distant. So, what do we do? Um, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit in primarily two different ways. I'm going to talk about him as a person, and I'm going to talk about him as being active in the world. And so the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit primarily as a person. And so that's what we want to kind of outline for you today. He is a person. Just as God the Father is a person, just as Jesus is a person, the Spirit is a person, has personality and person traits just like the other two do. Sometimes we tend to think, and some other religions think, that God the Spirit is more of an impersonal force. That it's just sort of God's means of activity in the world. And we need to make a big distinction that he is, in fact, a distinct person from Father and Son. Um, the Bible talks about it in a number of different ways. It says that he has a will, that he has a mind, that he has emotions. I'm not going to go through all these verses, but we'll put them up on the city later this week if you'd like to look them up yourself. Not only that, but he can be lied to. I don't know about you, but I've had difficulty lying to an impersonal force. Turns out you're just lying to yourself, right? Because it's not really a person. If it's a person, they can be lied to. Not just lied to, but grieved, quenched, resisted, even blasphemed. The Bible talks about him as having personal traits and qualities. The reason this is so important is because he is a person. And because he is a person, we can know him personally. It's very, very important. We can know him personally. Um, see, we often um, think of this as sort of an impersonal force. The reason that it's important to think of it as a person um, is because we don't just think of what they do, but who they are, right? You think of your wife, your spouse, husband, your children, they have personality traits in and of themselves, regardless of what they do. They don't need to do anything to describe them. You may describe them in terms of their relationship to you, but it's not necessary. They are a person. They are a human being. Because of that, they have traits and qualities, and the Bible talks about the spirit in the exact same way. But I do realize that it is difficult to talk about something like the spirit Regard, like it, 
in division from what he does. And so we really need to spend most of our time talking about what the Spirit does in order to figure out who he is. Um, And so the second part is he's not just a person, but the Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is active. And I'm going to make the case today that the Holy Spirit isn't just active at some point in the past, that he's active today. Sometimes we like to think of him as being active some other time. It's important for us to realize that he's active today because that changes everything for us. Um, Jesus talks about it this way. When he was getting ready to uh, leave this world, he was talking to his disciples and giving them some final instructions for when he was about to take off. So he's saying, look, I'm not going to be here pretty soon. And so there's some things that you guys really need to know because the show is going to be yours. I'm out of here. I'm going, I'm ascending back up to heaven, but I have a mission for you, and I want you to carry on that mission in my place. And so in John 14, one of the things that he says to them is this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Some translations say comforter or advocate or helper. Um, But I will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So there you see the spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. This is why it's so difficult to talk about the Holy Spirit, because we don't have anything to hang our hat on experientially to say this is what the spirit's like. So Jesus recognizes this, and he says, look, the, the world hasn't seen him and doesn't know him, but you will know him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Very, very important phrase. The term that Jesus uses here for counselor is uh, the Greek word paraclete. And it literally means one who is called alongside. One who is called alongside. The problem with our English translations is that they don't grasp at sort of the breadth of particular Greek words. And this is one of them. Jesus saying, I'm out of here. I'm going to ask the Father to send another person. That one is going to be called alongside you. Because guess what? You're going to need it. (laughs) You're really going to need it. You're going to need someone who is a comforter and a counselor and an advocate and a helper because I have a very, very important mission for you to carry out in this world. And you're not going to be able to do it apart from the one that I'm calling alongside you. That's who the Spirit is, the one who is called alongside of us. And so you see how this is very important because we can have a statement of faith about the Holy Spirit and yet never have someone come alongside of us to help us through life, right? We can have something written on a page or a website and have very good theological thoughts about what that person is and what they do and never, ever apply it to our personal lives. And so the spirit never becomes a paraclete for us. He just becomes a spirit that we never interact with, that we keep at arm's distance, and that's icing on the cake rather than the main meal. So the question then is, what does the spirit come alongside of us to do? In other words, How is he active in the lives of his people? And I want to outline for us three distinct things that the Spirit does in our lives and in our church. And these are going to be really, really important for us to understand 
if we're going to be a people that submits to the Spirit. I'm going to talk about the Spirit as someone who illuminates, transforms, and empowers. Those are primarily the three things that, G, that, that the Spirit does in the world. He illuminates, he transforms, and he empowers. The first one is this, that he illuminates. The question is, what does he illuminate? He illuminates our need for Jesus. He illuminates for us our need for Jesus. The Spirit's role in the world is to shine a spotlight on the Son of God and say, hey, everybody, look over there. So one of the reasons it makes it hard for us to know the Spirit is because he doesn't try to gain any attention himself. He is always constantly diverting attention from himself onto the Son of God. That's his role, is to illuminate the Son for people so that they can see the Son of God for who he is. It's the Spirit that draws us, then, from where we are towards Jesus. So, maybe you've had this experience. At one point in life, you figured out that you don't have the ability to change your life on your own. That you don't have the ability to work your way into God's good graces. That you need someone else to be your stand-in who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who rose again, and that God offers that gift to you as a free gift of salvation that you can enjoy and embrace for the rest of your life. That knowledge specifically applied to you is a product of the Spirit in your life. The Bible puts it this way. Because you are sons, God sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit, then, that, that draws us into a relationship with Him. I remember this very vividly in my life. For a very long time, I resisted and resisted and resisted the call of God in my life. I, I knew, deep down inside of me, that God wanted something different in my life. And over and over again, I chose to make bad decision after bad decision because in some way, some sort of really messed up way, I felt like if I just made enough series of bad decisions, God would leave me alone. You know? Like if I just get further and further down the road of being messed up, God will just go and pick on somebody else. I went through this for about a year. One decision after another leading me down the wrong path. And it turns out that God was steering me directly in the decision that he wanted me to go. Because after every bad decision, something else of this world was ripped from my hands until I had nothing left but to say, all right, God, I choose you. I got nothing else. I got to choose you. And God says, that's exactly the point. It's been my spirit that's drawn you to a place where you understand your need for me. That is the Spirit's role. Sometimes, though, we think that that Spirit's work ends when we become a Christian. Like, okay, I'm in God. I've given my life. Now go send your Spirit to somebody else. You know? It doesn't work that way either. He continues to illuminate our need for Jesus over and over and over again. One time very specifically that I remember is when we were in the process of deciding whether or not to come to this church or not, or, or really to stay here to start a new work. 
And I remember vividly God coming and saying, yes, I want you here. Almost audibly, I have a plan for this people, and I want you to lead. That was a work of God's Spirit that continued in my life, even recently. The other thing that God does to illuminate is that he illuminates his own word to us. And so God gives us something called the Bible, and we read that Bible, and the Spirit, what the Spirit does is he takes those words written on a page, and he implies them on our hearts so that we realize that they are written not just for people generally, but for us. D.L. Moody says it this way. He says, the Bible without the Holy Spirit is a sundial by moonlight. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I remember sitting down and reading the Bible before I became a Christian, and God was really working in my life and going, I don't get it. Like, I, I was reading the Gospels and going, the same story is in this Gospel, and it's in this one, and it's in this one. What gives? Like, couldn't they come up with new material? You know? They have to repeat the same thing over and over again four times. I'm like, it, I can do the math. You know, I'm going through reading it myself. Afterwards, when I became a Christian, I'm reading the Gospel of John, weeping, going, God, this is for me. You, you don't just love the world generally. You love me enough to send your son into my life so that I wouldn't have to suffer the punishment of being without you for eternity. You've given me this life that I can live with you. What amazing truth. God was applying the Bible directly into my life. And here's the thing. He'll do it for you, too. This isn't something that's just reserved for pastors and really spiritual people. Every time the Spirit's at work, He works to illuminate God's Word so that you can draw closer to Him. That's His job. And that's what He'll do in your life. Secondly, He doesn't just illuminate, but He transforms And specifically, he transforms us to be more like Jesus. That's his job, is to transform us from the inside out. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, and we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being what? Come on, you see it up there. What is it? Are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is... The Spirit. In other words, it is the Spirit's job to transform you, not yours. Let me put it a different way. It's your spirit, it's the Spirit's job to transform your children, not yours. It's the Spirit's job to transform your spouse, not yours. I see some shaking heads. I'll keep going. It's the Spirit's job to transform your mother-in-law, not yours. (laughs) Are you getting the point yet? (laughs) It's the Spirit's job. Why? Because as Jesus said, the Spirit will be with you and he will be in you. Anyone who's drawn into a relationship with God automatically gets the Spirit. And here's the thing. It's not just an add-on bonus uh, thing at the end of the show. It's something that impacts our life and is essential for daily living today. The Spirit's role in your life and in mine is to transform us daily to look more like Jesus. The question isn't whether he can do it or not. The question is whether we'll submit to it. Right? 
That's his role. That's what he does. And it's from the inside out. The Spirit doesn't just illuminate. He doesn't just transform. The Spirit also empowers. And specifically, he empowers us to live like Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. It is the spirit of power which gives us power to live our lives differently for the glory of God. That's also the Spirit's role. Have you ever felt powerless? Like you have absolutely no power to change your circumstances in and of yourself? Good. Because many times God does that for us as a precious gift to get us to realize that it's His power at work in us. And when we are weak, He is strong. Amen. That's God's role in our life, specifically through the Spirit to empower us to live a life differently from those around us who aren't empowered by the Spirit. God empowers us to live differently. There are two uh, sort of evidences of the Spirit's work in us, and I want to talk about them sort of in different ways. Um, the first evidence, well, I'll, I'll just say what they both are. Um, there is an outward evidence and an inward evidence. The outward evidence is that God gives to us spiritual gifts. The inward evidence is that we get what Paul calls the fruit of his spirit. The outward gifts, the spiritual gifts, they are a transformed set of abilities that God gives us. Um, And it says this, uh, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for who? For the common good. There are outward evidences that God is working in your life, and those things are transformed abilities that you are to use, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. God has given each of you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, specific gifts that are only given to you, so that you can benefit other people. God has given me gifts in teaching and in wisdom, um, in evangelism. And I don't use those gifts for my own benefit, but for the benefit of other people. He may give you the gift of helps or the gift of mercy. He may give you the gift of hospitality to share your home even with people that you don't know. But God has given you those things, not so that you could use them for yourself on the sideline, but for you to use them in the game, so to speak, for the benefit of other people that you're working alongside, your teammates. That's why God's given you those things. Secondly, though, there are inward uh, evidences of the Spirit, and uh, Paul calls those the fruit of the Spirit. And this is not just transformed abilities, but transformed character. He says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.5. And then he goes on to outline what many of those gifts are, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me ask you this, 
Do you want to be a more loving person? No? Do you want to be a more joy-filled person? Do you want to have more peace in this life than you've ever known before? Do you want to have more patience? (laughs) Some of you need some patience. Yeah, I understand that. Kindness. Do you want to be a more kind person? Goodness. Do you you want to ooze goodness in your life so that other people say, this person is good. They are... There's something different about them. Do you want that for your life? Faithfulness. Do you want to be able to say, I have been faithful to Jesus, to my spouse, to my workplace, to my church. I'm a faithful person. Do you want to be able to say that about your life? Gentleness. Come on, guys. Do you want to be a gentle person? (laughs) Self-control. Look, when temptation comes, I can overcome it because I am a person of self-control. You want to be able to say that about your life? I sure do. Here's the thing. We often isolate the fruits of the Spirit that we want and then try to figure out a game plan to get that fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit's help. Right? Paul says, none of these things come of their own fruition. They are fruits of a person. Get to know the person. And so the more that we submit to the Spirit's control in our life, the more loving we become. When we are faced with trials and temptations in our life, and we think, I am going to lose it. I wish I had more patience. God is screaming to you in that moment, Come to me, submit to my spirit, and I will give you patience. When we're tempted beyond what we can bear, and we just think, I'm going to give in just like I've always given in time and time again, God says, submit to my spirit, and I will give you the strength to overcome that situation. The fruits of the spirit all come from the spirit. You cannot get them in a supermarket apart from him. This is not all a cart shopping. This is a one-size-fits-all. The Spirit brings what you need, when you need it, for the reason that you need it. It only comes from Him. So Jesus, through His Spirit, will illuminate our need for Him. He will transform us to be like Him. And He will empower us to live our lives in a new way for Him. As I said before, it's not a matter of whether Jesus is capable, whether the Spirit is capable. It's a matter of whether or not you're willing to allow Him to work in your life. So what does it look like then for the church to be a Spirit-filled place, to be a Spirit-filled people? One of the things that I was told when I was growing up in the church is that the Spirit used to do a lot of stuff. I'll say that again. The Spirit used to do a lot of stuff. Open the book of Acts and see with my own eyes the Spirit doing all kinds of stuff. He's empowering people. He's directing. He's speaking. He's breaking new ground. 
He's even giving different tongues and prayer languages to people as evidence of his work in their lives. He, he is working in miraculous ways. Sometimes we call the book of Acts the book of the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Spirit. The Apostles are just the characters that he's using. And we read this over and over again. He speaks to this person. He directs this person. He says, go here, not there. Go there, not here. We read it all throughout that. And the explanation that I've gotten over and over again is that the Spirit used to do those things, and he doesn't anymore. My response to that would be this. It's important for us to look at the way the Spirit works in the book of Acts, not just what he does. Every time the Spirit shows up in the book of Acts, it's for one of two reasons. The first reason is that the Spirit shows up to empower God's mission. So what happens? The, the, the disciples are gathered in an upper room. They're just hanging out together. Not really empowered to do anything, right? They're just scared. They're hiding from the world. They say, we're just going to kind of huddle in and wait for God to do something. Boom, the Spirit comes and he empowers. He fills them, and now they can't stay in that room anymore. They've got to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. He empowers them to do it. Secondly, what the Spirit does is that he gives evidence for God's movement in the lives of people. Another example is Peter. Peter gets a dream that he should go and talk to this guy named Cornelius and his family. And so Peter says, uh, I don't know if this is such a good idea, God. He's actually not Jewish. He's Gentile. And there's this whole wall here that's kind of up, and I'm not supposed to go over that wall because it's kind of unclean on the other side. And, and what God's response is is just go. And so he goes, tells them about Jesus, and now all of a sudden they show all these signs that God's at work there. They're speaking in different languages just the way that Peter had spoken in a different language. And Peter gets this epiphany. He goes, no way. These people are Christians too. They like they, they, they follow Jesus, and he's working in their hearts. And the evidence of that is that the Spirit is just as powerful in them as he is in me. What's the point of all this? The Spirit shows up when God wants to empower a mission or give evidence for his movement. The reason that I think that we often talk about the Spirit as being for another time and another place is because it's easier to say God doesn't do that anymore than to say God doesn't do that here anymore. Catch that? It's easier for us to say God doesn't show up in that way anymore than to look ourselves in the mirror and say God doesn't do that here anymore. Because what that is saying is that I'm either not on mission with God or not looking for the evidence of his presence. The reason that the Spirit is given is to empower God's mission or give evidence for his movement. And when we get off the track as a church of following after God's mission, you can expect the movement of his Spirit to leave as well. The good news is, though, that we have seen it. We have seen it. We have seen God moving in a number of different ways in our church, empowering, empowering, empowering to do amazing things. I think of the, the food pantry just this 
past week, we had a record-setting number of people come through our food pantry, serving them with our hands and our feet, being Jesus for them, giving them good things to eat, and, and encouraging them that God is working in their life and will work in their life. And over and over again, we heard, thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. You're doing something great here. It's an evidence of his spirit that's at work in us because we're on track with his mission. Here's the truth. God has a mission for you today. Not tomorrow, not someday, today. And it's a mission that only the spirit can reveal to you and only the spirit can empower you to do. If you want to see the evidence of God's movement in your life, you need to say yes to his mission. That's the way it works. So let's look at our statement again. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son as God. He is present in the world to draw creation back into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He also lives in every Christian from the very moment of salvation. He provides the Christian with the power for living a life that pleases God, increasing ability to understand God's word, there's illumination, and with spiritual gifts to be utilized for the benefit of others, there's empowerment. And the Christian seeks to live under his control daily. Uh, I've said it before that we are, uh, throughout this series, using stories from individuals' lives to highlight what it is that we're teaching each week. And so this week we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and uh, Pete Burroughs is uh, our highlighted real story of belief. And so I want you to hear from him in terms of how the Spirit has impacted his life and changed the way he lives. From my perspective, the Holy Spirit is, is uh, with us all the time. He is God with us. He is uh, our helper, our comforter, our counselor, even our prayer. So um, he's, he's everything for us as believers. Well, I, early on when I was a Christian, I recall uh, some, uh, a friend asking me how I knew I was a Christian and, and what changed that it all about. And one of my, I remember my answer at the time was most clearly that uh, I knew I was a Christian because I had experienced that the Holy Spirit was in me. I, I recall that um, things were very different as I had... Uh, invited Jesus into my life and as the, uh, the Holy Spirit had become part of, of, of um, what I was doing, that um, the Bible, for instance, was really different. Things would just pop out. It was as though God was speaking to me. And it felt like the Holy Spirit was taking those words and just applying them to my life and making them special for me. And uh, there were instances as well where it just seemed like my life was explained was somehow clearer because of the perspective that the Holy Spirit was giving me on what was happening um, compared to, to the way it was before. So I was very clear and, and very um, certain that I was in God's family because I felt the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Another instance um, which I, I remember sharing um, a few months ago in, in the group here was that I had this experience um, at work several years ago when 
I was uh, in a meeting with um, some colleagues and the request was made um, about doing some extra work and I felt this prompting to volunteer. So um, I volunteered. I did it. Not a voice, but it was almost like a voice um, telling me to, uh, to, to do this, to, to offer to do this. That piece of work that I ended up doing was um, work which ultimately was, it's not a large piece of work, but it was ultimately recognized by a, um, a director of the company, a research director. And the result of that uh, work was um, a year later I was offered a new job uh, in the US. I was in the UK at the time. And um, really changed the course of my career just because I said yes at that point to a simple prompting that I believe came from the Holy Spirit in that single meeting. So he absolutely and uh, most importantly changed my life at that point. That Pete uh, described the Spirit is that there are times when the Spirit is necessary to push us to make big decisions. Um, you heard one of those decisions in his life was to uproot from the UK and come to America. I mean, think of all the ramifications on his family and his career, all because God shared something in his life, a very small step of faith that, that Pete agreed to and followed after. But there's also the daily, and that God speaks to us each and every day, and it may not be towards some big life decision, but towards something that God wants to do in us each and every day. I think the common theme between those two things is for us, if we're looking for the voice of God in our lives, is to listen for the still small voice. So often in our lives, we are bombarded and allow ourselves to be bombarded by message after message until it crescendos in a room full of noise. And amidst that noise that we allow into our lives from all these different sources, we say to God in frustration, God, why don't you speak to me? And I think sometimes his answer is, I am speaking to you. You're just not tuning out the noise. So what I'd like to do for us as we respond to God now is to listen for that still, small voice. The truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus... God has already given you everything that you need in order to hear from him. You just need to spend the time with him in order to hear it. And so that's what we're going to do now as we gather for worship and uh, as we pray. I'm going to ask the Spirit to come and to illuminate, transform, and empower us to live differently. Father, thank you for your Spirit. We are blessed beyond imagination that we have you as our Father in heaven who looks down on us and smiles because we are your children and you've placed in us a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. You've also given us your spirit. And with, you, with that spirit, God, you've given us the ability to live a transformed, empowered life. God, my simple prayer now is that you would illuminate yourself for us to see. 
that he'd allow for us to listen for that still small voice. Help us to minimize the distractions to come before you and to listen hard for you. I pray that we wouldn't find your spirit lacking, but we would discover anew the spirit that both transforms us and empowers us. Help us to live differently, but never allow us to live differently apart from your activity in our lives. And we'll be sure to trust you every step along the way. In Jesus' name.